This week's episode is brought to you by Pure Uranda, makers of the Virtue Pilot 7000, the easiest way to ensure your complete domination over filthy plebes. Jump in, pull the hyper-realistic visor over your head, and let your neurons integrate with the smooth and intense feedback mechanisms gliding one of our fighters in our fight to ensure perfection on Uranda. Surgeon General's warning. This product may induce a vegetative state with prolonged use. Side effects include slack-jawed, jack-booted adherence to dogmatic views, inability to swallow the truth, and a thousand-yard stare into the abyss that is eugenics. Please use responsibly. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 65, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Other Side. The we other are an side. independent... Ind- the Other Side. Break on through to the other... We are an independent podcast, and you can help keep this thing independent uh, by going on to Patreon, and uh, we usually put a link in the show notes, but it's patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate, spelled exactly how it should be. Uh, And your support helps keep the show going because right now every single dollar that we receive until further notice is going directly towards Zach's computing device, which is necessary for his contribution to the show. Thank you so much to people for signing up and uh, taking care of that with us. Uh, It's super duper 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 helpful uh but everybody will always be able to find our content where podcasts are normally sold um you know it's free uh you can go to google podcasts and apple podcasts and spotify podcasts and pretty much any podcast aggregator you type in walking through the stargate and we'll be there uh and uh, don't forget we have this outstanding offer you write a review on uh, apple podcasts and we will do a dramatic recreation of that review uh Speaking of Patreon, uh, we need to take a moment to give a special thanks to Shane for joining up. Thank you, Shane. Uh, Your support is integral. Excuse me. Uh, The support is deeply integral to keeping this thing going. Many, 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 many thanks. Uh, Zach, um, if somebody wants to let us know that they had uh, uh, noticed that I'm struggling with uh, saying words without having a gravel in my throat because I'm getting over a head cold, if they wanted to let us know uh, how exactly that's annoying to them, how might they how might they do that? Well, there are lots of ways that you can get a hold of us and tell us how annoying Brent's head cold is to you and not just simply to Brent. Uh, you could <laughs> email us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. You could uh, email them. E- email us there and, and yes. let Brent know that uh, that his coughing just drives your commute <laughs> up a wall. <laughs> Uh, and not just simply those cars that are around you driving you up a wall. Uh, but, or you could find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking and mm-hmm. tell us there that Brent's mm-hmm. coughing is <laughs> insane. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you could find us on fa- Facebook. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. The Facebook group is where most of the interaction happens. So join yes. us there and and uh, put a nice little gift there of of somebody hacking up something and say this is Brent and this is what Brent <laughs> does to me. You know, be creative, <laughs> have fun. Yes. Um. You know, because even Master Brentek gets sick occasionally. Oh, jeez. Ah, I'm not. That, that's never going to go away. No, it's, it's not. Funny. It it's funny. It is funny. Uh, and I do want to thank you all for uh, being patient with us. We've been gone for a couple weeks here. Yeah. Uh, ironically, we've been in the same space at the si- same time for the last two weeks. Yes. And we have not been able in that to be able to uh, get a podcast out. Well, there was good reason. I'm not the saying there time, wasn't good reason. First time I, we were too busy drinking mead. That is true. That's, that's a good reason. That is a good reason. 
And the second time we were too busy drinking mead, just mead that we had bought the weekend before in a different location. That's true. That's true. It's all about the mead. That's, yeah. Okay, so uh, if you want to uh, facilitate <laughs> um, our mead drinking, <laughs> I'm not going to go any further with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, hey, get on the Facebook group and tell us how you like your mead. Yep. There you Ooh. go. Ooh, there you go. Or, uh, or there we go, have suggestions of meads we can try. Yep. Yep. There you go. Um, and if also, uh, if you have any ideas for who can sponsor our show, uh, along oh, yeah. with the, uh, That's right. the Pure Urandan, uh Virtue Pilot 7000, please go ahead and email us your thoughts on that. Uh, that would be uh, wonderful and helpful for us. We've got some ideas on our own, but I tell you what, it always helps to hear from other people because somebody's going to have an idea that we're going to wa- read and be like, this is golden. This is absolutely golden. Absolutely. Like literally. Literally golden. Yeah, like you could yeah. like actually market that. <laughs> okay, shall yes. we, Brent, dig into this episode? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, The Other Side is directed by Peter DeLuise, and the teleplay is by Brad Wright. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details on either one of those gents, because I have in many podcasts before, and I didn't get anything else written down about them. One thing that I wanted to uh, ask is if in the trivia you tell us where Peter DeLuise showed up, I want to take a guess at it. Uh, okay. I uh, do have that later on. Uh, if you want to go ahead and toss that out right now, we can talk about it. Oh, right now? I think, he was, I think he was the, uh, the sort of like the sergeant that was yelling at the crew to go, go, go down the hall. Move in- it, move it, move it. Dude, indeed, you are correct. Yes. That was, in fact, Peter DeLuise All right. at the beginning of that. Um, however, despite not talking a lot about director and teleplay uh, writer, uh, we do have a couple of guest actors that are worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Anne-Marie DeLuise. This, she was actually credited here as Anne-Marie Loder. She played Pharrell. Yeah. Uh, DeLuise, you might recognize that name. She is, in fact, yes. married to Peter DeLuise, although at the time of airing of this episode, they were just dating. Ah, uh, nice. She was born on August 3rd, 1969 in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador in Canada as mm-hmm. Anne-Marie Loder. She is known for her work on Higher Ground in 2000, Love Happens in 2009, and then, of course, SG-1 here. Mm-hmm. And she's been married to Peter since uh, June 7th, 2002, and they have one child. Nice. So, uh, and then there is, of course... The uh, man of the hour, Rene yes. Aubergenois, Aubergenois, yes. who played Alar. Um, yes. Delightfully. Delightfully. Wonderful. I love his acting. He is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born June 1st, 1940. Uh, he's an American actor, singer, voice artist, narrator, and director, best known, of course, for playing Odo on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Absolutely. Um, In his films, Aubergenois uh, portrayed Father Mulcahy in the film Mm -hmm. version of MASH 1970. That was his uh, first credit on IMDb. Well, there's a couple Mm -hmm. other credits earlier than that where he had some role that was, quote, uncredited. So this Mm -hmm. is actually his Mm -hmm. first thing. Uh, yep. The expedition scientist Roy Bagley in King Kong in 1976. Hmm. He was Chef Lewis in The Little Mermaid in 1989. 
hmm. the voice of, uh, in yeah. which he sang Le Poisson in, uh, in the American animated musical comedy film Cats Don't Dance. He oh. voiced uh, Flanagan. Oh, this is a different thing. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah like, there, there, there's a, there's a. In the Little Mermaid, he sang Le Poisson. Right. And then Chef he Louis. also yeah. voiced Flanagan in Cats Don't Dance. Gotcha. Okay. Um, in various long-running television series, uh, Aubergineau portrayed a number of characters, including Clayton Endicott III on Benson, for which mm. he was an Emmy Award nominee. Uh, he, of course, played Odo on Deep Space Nine and mm-hmm. Paul Lewiston on Boston Legal. Hmm. In addition to having been a regular actor on those three television shows, uh, he guest starred on many series, including Ellery Queen, Family, Grey's Anatomy, The Rockford Files, Charlie's Angels, Starsky and Hutch, Wonder Woman, Harry O, The Jeffersons, The Outer Limits, Night Gallery, Heart to Heart, Matlock, Murder, She Wrote, The Bionic Woman, Frasier, Judging Amy, Chicago Hope... The Bob Newhart Show, Star Trek, Enterprise, Star Trek, Stargate, SG-1, Warehouse 13, Archer, LA Law, The Practice, and others. Oh, wait, no, here we go. Saving Grace, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Criminal Minds, NCIS, The Good Wife, The Librarians, and Madam Secretary. So you're telling me he, 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 he did a lot of work. Yes, he had <laughs> a total of 228 acting credits, according to IMDb. Wow. Wow. Uh, he provided the voice acting for a number of popular video games. Um, in addition to his acting, he did direct two episodes of the TV series Marblehead Manor in 87 and 88, as well as eight different episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. He, is, uh, he was married to Judith, uh, his wife Judith, since 1963. They have two children, Tessa and Remy. Mm-hmm. And sadly, uh, Rene Aubergeonois died from metastatic lung cancer at his home in Los Angeles on December 8, 2019, mm-hmm. at age 79. Yep. So Excellent work. Excellent, excellent work. work. Uh, he does a tremendous job in this role. He, he plays it so well. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, boy. The original air date for The Other Side was July 7th, 2000. Uh-huh. Number one on the charts in the U.S. was still Be With You by Enrique Iglesias. Yep, yep. <clears throat> and the U.K. Mm-hmm. was rocking out to Eminem's The Real Slim Shady. Yep. Now we're back into the, now we're back into the tunes that I remember. Yep, so there you go. So technically, by definition, since I remember it, I'm not going to pull it up. Okay. Although, should I? I, I you know. know what? I never really listened to Eminem, so I don't yeah. really know The Real Slim Shady. Okay. So, so, um, so, so then tell me about this song. What's it feel like? Cause I don't know it. Well, um, may I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? I repeat, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? We're going to have a problem here. Quintessentially Eminem, which if you don't know much about Eminem, that doesn't help you. Um, I know he's a rapper. That's really about it. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's a hip-hop song. He's rapping in it about in, in his self-deprecating style. Uh, and uh, the speed is pretty pretty up-tempo. Uh, or no, I guess it's kind of... Whatever. 
It's um, it's an early 2000s uh, hip hop song. Okay. Well, so, uh, in go ahead and vein yeah, of Eminem, the box office for this weekend. The box office for this weekend starred number one with Scary Movie. Number two, The Perfect Storm. The pi- the Patriot was number three. The ki- I can't do this. I'm gonna stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, can you tell I'm not a rapper? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it just takes a certain kind of style. That's all. It, it does. It, uh, yes. Number four was The Kid, and number five, Chicken Run. Yes. So, Scary Movie, The Perfect Storm, The Patriot, The Kid, and Chicken Run. Chicken Run is a, a Wallace and Gromit movie. Oh, that's right. I don't know if I've... I, I probably have seen it. I uh, yeah. It. I, I, back in the day, I really, really enjoyed watching the Wallace and Gromit shorts yeah. uh, episodes. Uh, the Wrong Trousers and the Grand Day Out and the uh, one about the sheep and I can't remember the name. And then, of course, you had Chicken Run um, by the by the same uh, artist. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, what happened on or around this day in 2000? On July 6th, one day before the episode aired, West Ham United plays a record 1.8 million pounds for the late Bobby Moore's collection of memorabilia. Hmm. There were 79 episodes, including his 1966 World Cup winner's medal. <laughs> so, uh, Zach, um, you just said that there were 79 episodes. 79 items. I'm yes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's it's totally fine. Yeah. This is this is a podcast about a television show. It makes it, sense it, to be thinking it, about it, things it, in episodes. True. Yes. True. Uh yeah. and and while you're coughing, my brain is still a little hazy from That's fine. You know, yes. So. Uh also on July 6th, real estate developer Stan uh Cronky, I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, announces that uh, the acquisition of the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Pepsi Center for a whopping $450 million from the Ascent Entertainment Group. Mm-hmm. So buying sports teams, go sports ball. Sports July. Ball. One of them is sports puck, but that's okay. It's all a sports ball. <laughs> Which is, this, this sports ball is flat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it, it, it's just been, you know, microwaved for a really, really long time. <laughs> Carrying on. Carrying on. On July 8th, one day after this episode airs, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the fourth book in the series by J.K. Rowling, is published and the in the best. UK and in the U.S. Yup, yup, yup. So let's see here. I believe I started reading the series Harry Potter at about this time. Uh, it would have been mm-hmm. after the Goblet of Fire uh, was published, uh, but before um, the next book, whatever that is, The Order totally. of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. came out. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, July 9, police fired tear gas at fans during a World Cup qualifying soccer game between Zimbabwe and South Africa, setting off a stampede that killed 12 people in Harare, Zimbabwe. Yikes! Yikes! No, thank you. Yeah. No. Thank so you. let let's 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 not cause stampedes of people. That's just a bad. No. Yes. Um. <clears throat> okay. So 
couple of trivia about this episode. Uh, the underground base they go into uh, on Yoranda is actually just a redress of the Stargate command set. Uh, oh, the yeah. angled braces on the sidewalls are the same as in the SGC. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, the Urandans show obvious resemblances uh, through their actions and racial ideology to the Nazis during World War II. Shocking there. Uh, their uh -huh. dependence on heavy water recalls the sabotage of heavy water shipments for the Nazi nuclear program, and the embattled bunker suggests the Führer bunker in 1945. Mm -hmm. Also, the Urandans have a clear technological advantage over the breeders, but show a severe lack of resources. This is also a clear allusion to World War II, as the Nazis were in a similar situation throughout the war. While they had an advantage in technology, they were unable to replenish their forces. Further, Alar's wish to follow SG-1 back to safety uh, might, uh, so that he can work as a scientist for them, parallels the allied use and forgiveness of Nazi scientists in the space race known as Operation Paperclip. Mm -hmm. Also, the Urandans' racial purity and eugenics ideas and applications resemble Nazi German goals of racial purity and the removal of all impurities through eugenics. Yeah, it's kind of on the nose. Yep. It, it, it was like, hey, flash, 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 flash. Look at this. Look at this. Here it yep. is. Yep. Um, as you mentioned, Peter, director Peter DeLuise can be seen at the very beginning yelling, move, 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 move. Yep. Uh, Called soldiers. it. Soldiers. Um, uh, uh, actually, uh, so I was uh, talking with somebody on Facebook, a uh, new listener to the podcast, and he mm -hmm. reminded me that airmen are called airmen and army uh, troops are called soldiers. So we don't call... Uh, the airmen soldiers, because that's a different term. Different, different, different group. Different group. Also, different group. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole about ensigns the other day. Oh, really? Mostly the flags. Yes, you know the battle ensign and the uh, na the state nation ensign and the merchant ensign and the yeah the jack ensign. A whole lot of ensigns. There's a lot of ensigns. A lot of ensigns. And, All right. And the rank of ensign, which is the lowest rank commissioned officer in the navy, is called such because once upon a long time ago they were responsible for the colors so ah. the ensign took care of the ensign well it has very... nothing to do with the air force except that it made me think about ranks right anyway carrying on okay so uh renee aubergenois who of course played alar in this episode is known for playing odo on star trek deep space nine he mm -hmm. is the third star trek veteran to appear in the franchise of stargate uh after armin shimmerin played uh in the not uh one of the mm -hmm. knocks and of course dwight schultz in the gamekeeper and yep. uh, here is a little hint Rene aubergenois will not be the last star trek veteran to appear on sg1 shocker yep uh if we look hear. at this episode in other languages the french call it the other side the italian call it the other side the spanish call it the other side the czech also call it the other side. The Hungarians say it's the other side. And, of course, the German say the other side of the coin. Ah, Germany. Oh, come on. Yep. They, they had to throw that in there. Just had to be different. Yep. Just had to be different. Uh, so Fine. I do have a couple of goofs, I suppose. Um, yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Sergeant Radar there at the beginning had a name tag. And I no. don't know if you noticed the name tag. No, I didn't. Okay. Oh, Raider has a name? Well, well just, just patient, patience. Okay, 
Okay, okay. So on the name tag, <clears throat> it said that his last name was Davis. Aha! However. Radar Davis. However. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Later in the series, we will discover that Sergeant Radar's name is in fact not Davis, <laughs> but is something else. So he was just wearing a different airman's <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Apparently. This'll do. Oh. That's the word. Yeah. Oh, funny. Ah, oh, for a second there, I thought that it was going to be Radar Davis. No. Uh, right. And uh, so with that, shall we dig into the synopsis? Yes. Let's All right. It. Here we go. The synopsis for the other side. With director Peter DeLuise calling for airmen to move, 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 move down the hall as an unscheduled off-world activation has occurred, Colonel Jack O'Neill meanders toward the control room. Carter and Sergeant Radar, a.k.a. Sergeant Davis, I, I guess, uh, are working to establish two-way communication <laughs> with whomever is on the other side of the wormhole. See what I did there? After uh -huh, successfully uh -huh. receiving a message but not yet being able to send a transmission themselves, they hear a plea for help. After reviewing previous data, they realize that three people attempted to go through the gate only to find a closed iris. Not long later, the gate opens again, and this time two-way communication is possible. They meet Alar, leader of the Urandans. The Urandans are desperate for help from their ancient kin against an unstoppable and unspeakable enemy. The conversation is cut short as that enemy seems to attack Alar's position. For the first time in the history of the SGC, humans from another planet have called home looking for help without first being contacted by Earth. Jackson advocates help for humanitarian reasons. General Hammond accepts Daniel's argument and also encourages O'Neill to be on the lookout for a possible trade partner with superior technology than Earth. SG-1 arrives on Uranda. Alar is excited by their arrival, but looks oddly at Teal. Alar gives them a quick tour of the facility. Clearly, the Urandans have superior technology. O'Neill is practically salivating at all the possibilities. In the war room, O'Neill takes a go in their video game-inspired drone-controlling technology. What is it called? The Virtue Pilot 7000. Virtue Pilot 7000. You got it. Yep. Uh, he shoots down an enemy unmanned reconnaissance drone. He is suitably impressed. The neural interface allows O'Neill to think what he wants to do, and the aircraft under his control simply does it. As the tour continues, they discover that the Urandans have fusion reactors, advanced medicine, stasis pod technology, and much, much more. What they don't have is heavy water to power it all. Carter and O'Neill reveal that heavy water is something Earth could provide relatively easily. Alar jumps on that prospect. The Urandans are close to defeat. They have the superior tech, but without the suitable natural resources, they are severely limited. Alar promises to give the SGC access to all their advanced tech and teach them how to make it themselves if the SG-1 provides the Urandans with all the heavy water they need. But with defeat imminent... Daniel simply suggests they use the Stargate to find a new home. The Urandans are unwilling to do so. They've been fighting for more than a generation. Those deaths would be worth nothing if they abandoned their home. Suffice it to say, O'Neill and Carter are impressed with the Urandan technology. With the authority to speak for the SG1, SGC, 
O'Neill agrees to a large terms. For the first time, it, it appears that the SGC has finally found an advanced culture willing to offer them the means to defeat the Gua'uld. However, Dr. Daniel Jackson is skeptical of the Urandans, concerned that the arrangement has been conducted without any knowledge of the Urandans' enemy or why the war started. The Urandans themselves refuse to disclose anything more than the most basic information. O'Neill's irritation with Daniel is palpable. He doesn't want Daniel to screw up what could potentially be a life-saving alliance in their fight against the Gua'uld. Carter and Jackson return to the SGC to report back and to procure the heavy water. Carter reports to the General that the Urandans appear to be at least a hundred years ahead of them in military technology. Daniel asks the moral and ethical questions. We weren't planning to turn the tide of a war with weapons and warriors, but if we can simply give them water to do the same effect, that's all okay, right? Uh, we don't know anything about this war. We don't know anything about the enemy. We don't know why they're fighting, or if they're actually fighting a just war. Is this the right way to get their technology? Probably, yeah, but is it the right thing to do? Both Carter and Hammond acknowledge Daniel's point. Daniel is told to seek out more information. Back on Yoranda, and with as much heavy water as they could acquire on short notice, Daniel continues his questioning of Alar. Alar is defensive, O'Neill is annoyed, and finally tells Daniel to shut up. Stop screwing around with this potentially lucrative trade opportunity. However, not long afterward, Alar pulls O'Neill aside and suggests that when they return, Teal'c should perhaps stay home. He is, after all, not like us. The tone. The creep factor, the not-so-subtle subtle racism evident in the words not like us, crashes through O'Neill's perspective. Teal'c, Daniel, and O'Neill are supposed to go back to Earth while Carter stays behind to look at the fusion generator technology. Instead, however, Jack stops Daniel, apologizes. We're not going back just yet. Ask questions. Ask lots and lots of questions. Something is wrong here. Sneaking around for answers, O'Neill and Teal'c find the stasis room and discovers that the population preserved in suspended animation comprises nearly identical white Nordic-looking individuals. They are all the same. Asking Pharrell questions under the pretense that they will be allies, now Jackson learns that the enemy, which is feared and reviled, are sometimes called breeders by the Urandans. They are called this because they have no respect for genetic purity, breeding without care or plan. Their people come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Ew! Carter notices pipes extending from the bottom of the facility to the surface. Why would these pipes exist given the surface of the planet has been poisoned? Now, the bunker in which they reside had to have taken years of planning and construction time, time that had to go back prior to the beginning of the war. Alar's only response was that, well, the war was inevitable. Soon the pieces come together. Despite being told that the war began with an, an, with an attack by the, uh, by the breeders, SG-1 realizes that this was in fact a preemptive attack. They were trying to stop the Urandans from poisoning the atmosphere. The Urandans believe, the superior, believe in the superiority of their race. They believe that eugenics, planned breeding, even genocide are necessary to ensure the purity of their people. To put it, put it bluntly, the Urandans are racist and xenophobic. 
With the pieces falling into place, SG-1 shifts gears and is no longer willing to aid the Eurondans. When the breeders attack again, O'Neill and Teal'c offer to help. Alar isn't pleased with Teal'c's participation, but is willing to allow it. Unfortunately for Alar, O'Neill and Teal'c switch sides and use their neural-controlled aircraft to escort the breeder bombers as they make their attack run. The Eurondans attempt to stop them, but Carter and even Daniel are able to protect their teammates. O'Neill crashes his craft into the ground before jumping out of the neural-controlled game pod. Alar points his weapon at O'Neill, but Teal'c intervenes, crushing his hand. With the bunker appearing to collapse all around them, SG-1 heads back to the gate. As they are about to go through the gate, Alar appears begging for them to take him with them. O'Neill refuses. Don't try to follow us. Teal'c, Daniel, and Carter step through the gate. And with one final look back at the desperate Alar, O'Neill steps through himself. With a word, the iris closes. But before the gate shuts down, the sound of something slamming into the iris rings throughout the gate room. Hammond supposes that they were unable to acquire any advanced technology. He is sorry, but Jack tells him, don't be. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm-hmm. The other side. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? So this is where I uh, have to go into confession mode. <clears throat> okay. I go into confession mode and I say that um, I didn't pick up that uh, the Eurondans were a bunch of of eugenics thinking silly nincompoops until only when Farrell was like, yeah, they, 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 the people, basically she was just hitting the nail on the head, right? Beating me over the head with these people think that people who look different than they do are bad. At which point I'm like, Oh, now reading, listening to you read through the synopsis, like obviously the, the moment I should have picked it up was when, um, like for sure, was when Jack was saying they're all the same, and I was like, "They're clones. They don't look like clones." I'm, I, I am, I'm a sweet summer child, Zach. Like I didn't pick it up until it was like, "Oh, oh, yeah, we're we're, we're literally yeah. talking about, uh, you know, breeders and uh, race relations." Um, <clears throat> so once I figured that was going on, then it was like, uh, it was it was a pretty nice. Uh, it was a pretty nice uh, little story of, of uh, you know, a group of people trying to doing their best to set things right by uh, ending a war that these terrible people started in a misguided effort to somehow, you know, make the world exactly like them. Um, so the story itself, though, it was fun. It was or fun is a, is a bit of a tough word. Um, I was engaged and enjoying it, and I was, uh, you know, the the story flowed very nicely. And watching Renee Aubert uh, uh, uh well done, act well done, is always delightful. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there's a whole lot to say about it. There, as I was kind of thinking about it afterwards, I was kind of thinking to myself um, that whenever a television show kind of goes into especially a sci-fi show kind of goes into uh questions of racism they kind of typically just sort of bring about nazis and stop and they don't really go into uh questions of systemic racism or of generational uh generational trauma that can come from decisions that were similar but not quite as impactful or um obvious 
uh, than what Nazi Germany was trying to do in the 30s and 40s. Right. Uh, and so in that respect, I was looking at this and going, yeah, okay. You know, we've seen this, we've seen this story and they did a good job of telling the story again. Um, and a part of me was kind of wishing that we could get into it a little bit more, a little bit differently. But then on the other hand, sometimes you just got to work on the fundamentals, right? Like (laughs) different people are different. The end, they aren't bad. (laughs) They aren't better. They're different. It is our job to be understanding and open and learn and understand that our differences are actually good things that help us figure out things and do things and be things that are better than what we could be all by our onesies. So, um, you know, uh, in that respect, again, like I said, it was kind of on the nose. Um, you know, once I kind of figured out what was all going on, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, seriously, all they have to do is just have flared helmets and we're right yeah. there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it was still a fun time. I, I liked it. Uh, you know, the the effects are starting to get fun and good. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the prop design and such. I mean, this is looking like a proper science fiction show, like in all respects. Um, it was it was neat to have the start of the story. Uh, make us think that we had connected with good guys and that we were going to help good guys. And uh, so, you know, having that little, uh, you know, that little morality tale told from that angle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was enjoyable. Um, You know, we, we were not connecting in with the, uh, with the rebels trying to take down the bad empire. We were getting connected with the empire on the back foot. And um, so it was, it was, it was a, it was a good story. I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was a good time. What about you? So, um, this is one that that I kind of wrestle with a little bit. I'm uh, I've seen it enough times that that uh, I struggle where I want to put this. Where I enjoy the episode, I like the episode. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a good mm-hmm. morality tale. Uh, I really, especially like the interplay between um, uh, between Jack and Daniel. Um, that that yes. gets really harsh and and uh, uh, adversarial at some points in time as they are debating this, um, and yet when it's all said and done, uh, Jack, who is pretty hardline at the beginning, hey, these guys are going to give us all the things that we want. You know, let's just keep doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, shifting gears to say, hey, wait a second. Um, uh, the, you know, and as actually now I think about it, uh, that actually is a profound moment uh this just kind of popped into my head Mm now uh what is the moment where where jack shifts his perspective on things it was oh you're not asking well well you can go ahead and answer the question but i mean it was that moment where he was about to send uh carter on not carter uh jackson back home after he talks with uh shoot what was his name alar was uh alar yeah after he talks with alar and alar's like He's not like us. And it started to click about what what actually their motivations were, what the Urandans' motivations were. So so uh, Jackson, Jackson, uh, Jack O'Neill has this really strong yeah. relationship with Teal'c. And you said Jackson earlier, but it was actually Teal'c that was getting heading home. Uh, Jackson was, it was all. Oh, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, right. right. And so they have this really strong friendship and bond, something that has developed over the last yes. uh, three seasons. Uh, and, and here we've got this thing. And it's when uh, Jack's relationship with Teal'c is immediately mm-hmm, questioned, mm-hmm. and that uh, when when somebody that Jack has firsthand knowledge of being uh, valuable 
and valid and worthwhile and all of those things for his own sake being questioned based on something that is uh you know irrelevant for those other things that is to say the color of his skin mm-hmm. uh that's that moment and uh one of the things that i constantly try to talk to people when i'm when i'm talking about issues of of racism sexism uh you know whatever it is whatever those isms are uh is is that relationship like true relationships with people who are different than us allow us the ability to have a different perspective and develop mm-hmm. that different perspective mm-hmm. and then uh provide uh when we talk, 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 start talking about systemic racism systemic racism uh its biggest problem is that we all think oh i'm not racist right um and then we look at our friend group and realize that oh my friends all look like me now. Oh, and you know, it goes way beyond that though, too. Like, well, sure, you know, sure. I, like I'm, there's I'm taking just no getting small. around it. That's true. Yes. I mean, also I live in Iowa. Uh, we're like 90% white here in mm-hmm. Iowa. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it's, it's true. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, you know, so, um, but, but even with, beyond that, uh, there's this, this recognition that, uh, you know, the the circles that we hang out with uh, give us the chance to put blinders on what the system is doing around us. Mm-hmm. And when we engage with people who are explicitly different than us and develop relationships with them, uh, then that helps us to remove those blinders such that when we see this in other situations, we can stand up to it and say, wait a second, Daniel, go ask questions. Go mm-hmm. ask lots and lots of questions. Um and that was something that, that just kind of uh, hit me right now as we were talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a little preachy there. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. And, and you know, like that, that kind of alludes to me kind of wishing that the episode dug a little more. But I also recognize that I am a person who has taken the time to, to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is something that uh, I have taken the time and energy and money of my own way and uh, or in my own path to uh, grow in ways that are a little atypical. And uh, so as a result, like, yeah, sure, I can sit here and be like, well, I kind of wish they would have done a little bit more about talking about how, how uh, you know, that the actual thing that we need to be worried about isn't a bunch of Nazis. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Check that. But anyway, like the concept of like, <laughs> like <clears throat> just this flagrant, overt, personal racism that is being displayed in the episode is obvious. And it's obvious to be like, all right, slow your roll. Like, no, we are not intrinsically better than anybody else based off of an attribute that we had nothing to do with. Um, like it, we are intrinsically better by choices that are being made and or, you know, like and even then that's debatable. Um, but it, by no means is it a genetic inherent property passed on from generation to generation right. or cloned or nurtured or whatever. Right. No, flat out. No. But that's the easy one. That's the easy one. And then that's the one where when I was growing up, because I grew up in a spot in the world where that kind of flagrant uh, superiority complex was not really present i also grew up thinking oh well racism is cured in our time hooray and then of course i learn and i grow and i talk with other people and i see how no 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 
individual prejudices and individual biases that hurt other people are there and it is present. But the thing that actually is the most insidious part about it is the systems that we have in place. It's as if there are, oh, I don't know, behind the scenes decisions that have taken, oh, I don't know, generations to kind of get into place, which consistently help one group of people and consistently disadvantage another. Now it's my turn to get preachy. And so I kind of wish <laughs> that the episode would kind of get into that a little bit. But yeah. again, like I said, sometimes it's okay to just go back to fundamentals, right? right. Like. Let's tell a story. Let's throw our heroes in in the story uh, where they first engage with who the people who end up being the bad guys, but they engage with them in a moment where they are the ones who feel the, the bad guys are the ones that are on the back foot. You know, it's basically it's, it's Berlin 1945. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what the situation yeah. was. You know, what would have happened if folks who had no idea about the backstory engaged with Nazi Germany leadership in Berlin in 1945? They would think that these guys are getting about, about to get overrun, which they were. And if they were only listening to one side, they would be getting their side like it would it, it would play out almost exactly like this. Yeah. So in that respect, it was very interesting and very fun. So I get off my high horse and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, this episode did not need to actually get into the sociological aspects that I think are interesting and important. And those are the things that are actually change motivators. We don't have to get into it. We can stay with the whole notion of let's have a thought experiment. What right. would happen if you engage with people who end up being the bad guy in a moment where you're not sure who the bad guy is? What would happen? Yeah, there's a couple things to add to this. Uh, as I was looking through the Illustrated Companion uh, mm -hmm. earlier today, uh, I decided not to bring it up uh, above when we were talking about trivia, but this is fits here because uh, Brad Wright, the writer of this episode, uh, one of the things that really um, frustrated him with this, he wanted this to, he wanted to dig into this more. He yeah. wanted there to be more to it. He kind of felt it was a little bit heavy handed, a little bit bonk bonk on the head. And he yes. was also recognizing like, yeah, okay, I get that, but it's also a 42 minute TV show. Right. Uh, and I've got 42 minutes to tell the story, and that's all I have. And so he, even him, uh, back in early 2000s, was uh, was wrestling with this as well. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you tell the story? And I think this is one of the things that makes uh, Rene Aubergenois so brilliant. Yes. Because he plays that character perfectly. To a T, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I mean he, he's this, this lovable guy who who you want to root for. And then you just also see, you know, it's like hearing your grandmother or grandfather, uh, you yeah. know, just, just toss out one of those off-color comments that you want to go, right. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. Um, and, and then you realize that it's just a little bit more. Uh, and he just plays yeah. it up so well. I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, it, it, it took uh, Farrell saying it out loud before I finally got it, and then everything clicked. Yeah. Um, but up until that point, I thought that Alar's problem was with the um, alien aspect, which mm. it's one and the same. Dude, it is it is one and the same. Um, you know, it, but that was, that was me being misdirected. That was yeah. me being like, oh, wait a minute. Like, we're not worried about the little junior inside his belly. You know, he just doesn't look like everybody else. Like that's literally all there is. He, he's and not you know, a our, he, our team of descent. heroes, exactly. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Um. Uh. So you know, even even to that point, I was like, why? Yeah. Jaffa? He he's not like every other Jaffa. No, it wasn't about him being a Jaffa. 
all you know it was but it wasn't right right and uh you know of course this is an episode that was designed to um uh, kind of put the shoe on the other side such that yes. the SGC, who is constantly um, asking for technology and people are saying no, you know, the the uh, the Knox said no and and um, right. uh, Nareem, uh, now I'm blanking on their, 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 their community. Uh, High Chancellor, uh, what's her name? Yeah. Gosh, I'm going to get it's so a, many nasty fan letters from that. Yeah, no, right now people are screaming into the radios right now. They're just they're just saying the names, though, you know, if we could just listen to their screams yep. across time. In any time. case, you know, uh, you know the, tri- these... the triad, the triad yeah, folk. Yeah, yeah. Um, Them. Yep, it's still not coming to me. It's just... Nope. <laughs> I, oh, gosh, I feel I feel like you need to take my Stargate card away. But nope, don't worry a... about it. It's we, we've had a we've had it's been we're, we're both uh, we're, we're not firing on all cylinders. That, it's that all right. Truth. It's all good. Suffice it to say, we have all these different groups who have a lot of technology um, who are and have been reticent to share that technology. The Tokra is another example. Yes. Um, and here we have the other side of that where you have somebody who has this superior technology who is just desperate for it. Uh, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. Just just give me this other thing that I can save myself. Um, and, uh, that forces the question for our heroes and for the SGC to ask the question, whoa, um, what's going on here? Why are people doing this? And and how does, how does that navigate in our life today? So one thing that I did find at least a little interesting as far as the story mechanic was concerned was that it did kind of illuminate the trope that most science fiction stories use when engaging with a culture who is at war. And the trope is the first people that we meet are either hostile, hostile, and they're usually bad, or they're magnanimous and therefore they are good. And here we had a turning on the head of that, of that trope where the first people that we meet are magnanimous uh, and they turn out to be the bad guys. And I can't think of very many stories where that is the case. It's, it's not like there are zero, but uh, most of the time when our heroes meet up with somebody, because it's television, we are used to cues. Well, tropes. We're used to tropes sure. where uh, we are told these are the bad guys. And sometimes the bad guys turn out to be good guys. Like that's that's common. Mm-hmm. You thought they were bad, but turns out they're good. Aw, see, you can't judge a book by its cover. And that's the usual pay, or, uh, direction of it. And this time we get it the other way around where, you know, we we are allowed to develop some kind of an emotional connection with, with these people only to feel betrayed by it, which was great. And again, back to Rene Aubergeois uh, acting and the writing, honestly, and the direction. Like there was a lot about it that was like, you know, like. Come on in, like let's connect with these folks. Yeah. Uh, slack jaw. D- oh, duh. Was the methamphetamine use thing known in the early two thousands? So you know that thing about how during the Blitzkrieg, half the reason why the German army was able to make such you know amazing progress was because just about all of their soldiers were hepped up on meth, hmm. uh, uh, and as a result, they were able to fight like crazy for extremely long amounts of hours, right. um, just barreling over their enemies. I mean, they had the technological advantage, they had the manpower, and then the, to add to, to add to add to it, like they could go at full speed for like eighteen hours without rest, um, uh, allowing them to just steamroll. So, but you know. 
side effects may include <laughs> complete <laughs> dependency on something that is by definition might be in short supply. Um, yeah. So was our was our friendly pilot there? Was that was that an allusion to that, or was he just was he just honestly? Burnt out? I, I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it certainly uh, it was creepy though. It, uh, it it fits the whole thing. Well, it was, it was creepy when when uh, you know uh, O'Neill comes out of that after firing on that drone. He turns, looks at his co-pilot there, and the guy's like, "I'm yep. like, whoa, what's happening yeah. here?" That was definitely yeah. creepy. I was noticing uh, decisions about the lighting, uh, the lighting and the way that it was shot. Uh, you know, it was there was uh, there was definitely aspects that were alluding to the creep factor that were that were definitely being visual clues that say things are not what they appear to be here um so keep an eye out for that yeah yeah which was good which was delightful one of the things that that i also found interesting as i was watching this episode is that uh, rarely in these situations when the person it does happen that you meet somebody who you think is your friend and then it turns out to be the bad guy that happens yeah. that's trope uh yep. But rarely in that situation does that happen and you never meet the quote-unquote good guys. You never meet the other side. Rarely oh. does that happen. And in this situation, uh, we never meet the breeders. Right. We never meet that side. We never hear their story. Um, and I just find that fascinating. I don't know what yeah. to make of that exactly, um, but it is interesting. Well, it's, we're, it's a function... Um, it is a function of there being an objective rightness and wrongness to ideas. Uh, we could get down that rabbit hole pretty deep. I'm pretty sure you and I have at some point, and I think that we're on different sides of the coin on this one. But um, minimally, assuming that there is objective right ideas and objective, obje- objectively right and objectively wrong ideas, all it takes is exposure to an objectively wrong idea for us to go, Oh, we don't even need to see the other. We don't need to see the other side. Um, you know, we, uh, as far as the trope is concerned, we are seeing the other side. As far as the story is concerned, it is about the other side. But as far as the um, sort of the morality climax, we don't need to see the other side to know. Okay, what they've got going on is wrong, and we don't want anything to do with it, and we kind of don't care uh, the rightness or the wrongness of the other side on this one. All we know is that this side is wrong. And so we're not going to help them. And, you know, uh, uh, O'Neill literally taking the side of, of, you know, of the enemy on this one. I hesitate to use the term breeders because it seems like a pejorative in this, in this context, in this story. Right. Even though it isn't, I I get, you know what I'm saying? Well, it it may or may not. I mean, it's certainly used as a pejorative. Yeah, Um, I know. But I also, we don't have any other words for them. Well, the enemy, the enemy, that's all we get that. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, um, you know, they might not be any, I mean, there could literally be no good side on this conflict. Like, that's possible. Yeah. Um, and so to explicitly take one side or the other is also a little simplistic. But, you know, hey, not going to. Well, ultimately, what SG-1 decides is, um, okay, so we know that you're not good. And so we're going to step right. out and not help you. Um, and walk away from this. This is not about us. This is about you, and we're done with it. Well, that's um, where I push back. I mean, they actively bring about their defeat. 
Right. They, well, they actively okay. participate. But the, the bottom defense. line is that the way things were going, the Urandans were going to lose anyway. Yes. It was just a matter of time. Um, it, and so ultimately, um, when, what would have probably turned the tide for the Urandans was getting the heavy water. And if they had gotten that heavy water, uh, an undisclosed amount of heavy water, they probably would have been able to survive and fight back. And probably, you know, I mean, from what we've been told here, the suggestion is that they would uh, be able to at least hold their own and maybe even destroy the, the enemies. Yes. However, uh, there's also the recognition that where they are at currently, without that heavy water, they are up the creek. You know, they don't yeah. have a prayer. And so yeah. while, yes, it's true that, that uh, O'Neill turns and, and uh, stands with the enemy against the Urandans, Ultimately, the the Urandans would have fallen regardless, and uh, that was just a temporary thing. While uh, O'Neill then leaves and says, "We're yeah. done. We're yeah. all done." Yep. All right, Brent. Yeah. We could talk more yeah. about this for a long time. I'm sure we sure could. could. But I think it is time to shift gears and yeah. consider our ratings for this episode. Mm-hmm. And so I ask you, how many chevrons out of seven does The Other Side, episode number two of season four, get? Um, for me, let's see here. Um, so this is going uh, to get a number of chevrons on the higher side, but it has everything to do with, um, with a conversation. Uh, could I watch this one again? Yeah, yeah, I totally could. But why... It would be to watch Rene Aubergenois act. Uh, he's so delightful. It's such a good, uh, such a good acting job. It's so good. <clears throat> the story itself is intriguing, but you know. And I was engaged, but I'm not sure how engaged I would be on a, on a rewatch. Um, I delight whenever a story gives you and me a chance to talk about um, philosophical, sociological, mor- moral issues. Like you know, sci-fi is really good for doing that, but it, it, it's one of the reasons why I like the genre so much. So, um, you know, how many chevrons do I think it deserves on the surface? It's, you know, kind of on the upper middle scale. But for Brent today, watching this episode, talking about it afterwards, I'm going to give this one six out of seven chevrons. This one's a good one. Uh, I think that uh, it's a lot of it's it's uh, I, I, I wonder if it's actually ever going to play in the Stargate universe uh, ever again. I kind of doubt it. Um, but it does give us a great little opportunity to have a side conversation and kind of dig into some meat and potatoes of issues that actually matter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I rate it highly. Six there out of seven. Go. All right. What about so, you? Um, I think I mentioned early on that uh, I find this episode a tough one. Um, I, I generally like mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but I'm uncertain. And, and I'm struggling. Where do I put this? Where do I rate it? And I'm like, you know, like you, I think I thought it was going to be, you know, on the higher things, you know, but... You know, where does it go? It, you know, four seems too low. Uh, it's oh, not yeah. seven. Um, right. And, and then and then I kind of wrestled with this. And and I think that, that if I were to... Uh, and actually, I was thinking about this um, <clears throat> beforehand. And if I, if I had to rate this episode before our conversation, I probably would have just given it a five. However, sure. we've had this conversation, and it's been a good conversation. And even in this conversation, I have seen and recognized some of the nuances of this episode 
that I didn't even recognize that were there before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so with all of that, I am, uh, for probably similar reasons to you, actually going to increase my rating and give this a six out of seven chevrons. Right on. So there you go. Yeah. All right, Brent. Yes. We have some predictions. Oh, good. (laughs) All right. We're going to start by dancing around Facebook here because I think we've got one here. (laughs) Dancing around. So we have Nick. Oh, hey. Hi, Nick. Uh, Nick, this is a, a new to the podcast, Nick. Uh, Nick is the one that in, helped me uh, remember the various uh, uh, issues with the um, military protocol and the like. <laughs> yes. Um, and Thanks that's, for keeping uh, that's us on the straight and that, That's uh, very much on, on his, uh, th- that's, that's important to him. So he mm-hmm. says he thinks Zach's going to give it four oh, uh, yeah. after dinging it for tropes and brent will find it predictable and give it a three. Oh uh, boy whoa. so you know what he's right it was predictable and tropish but you know i have a soft spot for things that get me going on uh philosophical conversations yep and and uh th- that's that's me as well i i think that uh the the philosophical con- conversations just really really get me going Absolutely. All right. We have Arnacht again. Hi, Arnacht. Arnacht says, this one's good, and not just because of Rene Aubergenois, although that is most certainly a plus. Brent might take issue with Jack's actions at the end of the episode, as well as with the conveniently <laughs> dropped data crystal device, but he'll probably still give it five if he gave half chevrons five and one half, since this is one. this one is likely to spark conversation. I'll Bingo. guess that Zach gives it six and one half chevrons, partly for raising the ethical questions of accepting technology from an evil source for an ultimately good end. We didn't even really get into that. No, we didn't. We really not didn't. really. Um, we could have, but uh, totally could have. Gosh Absolutely. darn it, Arnock! You you nail our thought processes perfectly. Yeah, it's getting it's getting pretty and, and, it's getting pretty good yeah. slash creepy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, very close from Arnacht, but uh, yes, whew, I'm still impressed. All right. Oh yeah, me too. Here's from here's <clears throat> David. Hi, David. Racists from another planet. Good episode, but not high on the. I rewatch this one list. Right. The final thud in the iris was satisfyingly chilling. Brett yes. Says four, and Zach says four and a half chevron. Ah, uh, but more, but uh, but again, that conversation. Yep. We yep. we love we love the we love the ones that we can talk about. Yes, um, and and you know, okay. Here here's the here here's a hint, all y'all. Uh, if if this is something that's going to really raise uh, this type of conversation for Brent and me, uh, we are both going to give it probably at least one whole point ahead of where you think we might have that's otherwise. Pro- yeah, I would say yeah, I would say that's a pretty good general rule. Like yep. if there's a if there is a moral or ethical question that is an actual plot point, like a real meaningful part of the story, automatically give it plus one. Like yep, like instantly plus one. It's like getting uh, a ring of protection. Although actually, Zach, let's check ourselves on this one. Did emancipation have it? Did it? Well, no, it sort of didn't. That was its point. That was its problem. Right? Was that it? it, it 
it, it could have it tried desperately to be a feminist episode, and from my perspective, it utterly completely failed. failed. Yes, now, that's right. That said, I will note this: that I have listened to some other podcasts and other commentators, uh, women podcasters. Yes, uh, and while they also recognize the severe problems in that, they they have given emancipation something. Uh, of a past because even though there were some problems, there were some good things that they liked in it, uh, in that conversation of feminism and, and, uh, the like. Uh, so Zach, what you're telling me is that if a person is open to a diverse range of ideas, they could actually enjoy something more so than if they only listened to people that were just like them. You know, that strikes me as being the other side of this whole thing. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. It's as almost it's almost as if that kind of thing enriches a person, makes yeah. life a little better. Uh and it's not an issue of having to okay, I'm gonna get preachy just a little bit. <laughs> it's not an issue about having to agree with the other person. Uh right. it's not about uh oh, I uh, have to agree with you in order for us to get along. Uh and it's not about, oh, if I agree if I try to be your friend and try to understand you, then I tacitly agree with you even if I don't agree with you. That's not about that. It's about understanding. It's about recognizing that the other person across the table is just as human as you are with mm-hmm. the, the same emotional realities in life, the same uh, you know, brains that's in our head and, and off guns, the same types of genes in our DNA. And mm-hmm. all of that is is to say that, that we're all human. We're all part of the same thing here um and uh if we work at it we can actually develop stronger relationships and gain new knowledge about each other there you go well said all right brent yes our next episode yeah is entitled upgrades and i ask you what is upgrades about All right, so part of me wants to try to be a funny guy, and then part of me wants to actually be like kind of serious. So I'm going to deviate from my normal way, and I'm actually going to try to give a serious prediction here, because this is what I really want to have happen. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the Stargate... Let's try that again. Sorry. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It happens to be a world where our friends, the Asgard, have set up a bit of a base away from home in their fight against the Replicators. Samantha Carter walks up to friendly Asgardian scientists and is immediately able to be conversant with the technology that they are using, because indeed she has been privy to an awful lot of sensitive information about some of the most sophisticated technology the Asgard have. In her talks with this crew, she's able to take away some really helpful pieces of information that allow the SG teams to finally get an upper hand against Apophis and his entire giant, nasty, gross, stupid, dumb ascension story about how he managed to do a pull of one, one over on top of an actual bad guy as opposed to actually earning it for himself. Anyway, the SG's teams are able to finally get what they have been long after all this time. Some upgrades. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 as we finally are able to take it to the gold with upgrades. So, Zach. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't trying to be a funny man, even though there was a little bit of a moment. Yep. How'd I do? 
Well, I will say this. Uh, we do not meet the Asgard in this episode. God dang it. However. Yeah. Shall we watch the Ooh. promo? However, shall we watch? Yes. Yes. However, let us watch the promo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you ready, Brent? Yes, I am ready. Hit and go now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The Tok'ra are starting to annoy me in general. The Tok'ra come to Earth, seeking assistance with an ancient artifact. Ooh. These artifacts were recently discovered among some ancient ruins on a remote planet. We hope the devices will provide our operatives with a great new physical advantage in the fight against the gold. Okay. Okay. Ooh! Oh, man! Oh, yeah! Oh, but oh, yes! dangers come with these remarkable new abilities? I object to being kept in the dark about the condition of people whose health I am responsible for. It's all I next time on Stargate SG-1. Ooh, we got some Matrix action going on. Nice. Ooh. Oh, superb. All right. Well, no, uh, no Asgard. No Asgard. But we do get some upgrades. We do get some upgrades. So with uh, with consequences. <laughs> we will have to wait and see to find out what precisely those consequences are for. Our I don't know, man. Heroes. Looks like uh, we all our heroes turned into the Flash. Well, that's what that, that looks that, like to me. That's what does does look kind of like that to you and and even to me. Yeah, um, looks like what, we're going to have some fun mean? times. Because, you know, a, a, according to That's... science, if you actually start moving at the speed of the flash, you'd you like, like disintegrate your body because you're going. To yeah, no, nah, there's I'm sure there's no consequences. I'm confident there are absolutely no negative consequences to this technology. OK, it's going to be 45 minutes of just us kicking ghoul butt. There you go. Well, yeah. we will have to wait and see and find out <laughs> next time right. as we discuss <laughs> upgrades. I'm not going to tell you what happens right now, Brent. You of course not. Of course. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to watching it. Yeah. So uh, also give a special thanks again to David for uh, making those promos for Thank us. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate that a lot. Uh, they're a lot of fun. Uh, tell us what you think of the other side. Tell us uh, how we got this episode right, how we got it wrong. Tell us uh, what you think about uh, Rene Aubergeonois' acting. Um, whatever it is, just uh, share your thoughts. You can email yeah. us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and talk to us there at Stargate Walking. Or, of course, go to the Facebook group and Walking Through the Stargate and uh, join the conversation there as we dig into uh, the, the fun and also the seriousness of the other side. Yeah. This was, I like this one, obviously. Obviously. Obviously, I like this one. Me too. So, with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.